0: Nodwch ein bod yn trafod panciau a allai fod yn sensitif yn y benod hon. Cyfeiriwch at y nodiadau am fwy wybodaeth a at, at gan llawiau a chfnogaeth. Please be aware that we discuss potentially sensitive subjects in this episode. Refer to the show notes for more information and for links to guidance and support. Hello, a chroeso i sgwrsio gyda Eceg Hello and welcome to Scursio with the EWC, the podcast from the Education Workforce
1: Council. Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Hayden Swallin and I'm the Chief Executive of the EWC, the Education Workforce Council in Wales. It's my pleasure to introduce this podcast to you. It follows on from an event that the EWC ran fairly recently. It was one of our master classes and dealt with the subject called we don't tell the teachers understanding and addressing sexual harassment in education settings the event itself was really well attended just shy of 200 practitioners and stakeholders so much so that we ran out of time when we got to the q a We managed, I think, about four questions, but there were many, many more. So I'm pleased today to bring back some of the speakers from the masterclass to deal with the questions that we had on the day. So I'd like the speakers to introduce themselves, please.
2: Hi, my name is Kelly Harris, and I'm the Business Development Manager for Wales for an organisation called Brook, who are the UK's leading sexual health, wellbeing and relationships charity, where we provide specialist education for children, young people and professionals on a range of subjects, from sexual health, puberty periods to harmful sexual behaviour, peer on peer sexual harassment and other topics.
3: Hi all, my name is Sharon Wareham, I'm a Children's Services Manager for Bernardo's Cymru. My professional background is in social work although I've spent the last 18-19 years now working directly with children and families impacted by child sexual abuse across all of its domains and the service that I manage is called Better Futures and we have a particular focus on supporting children and families impacted by child sexual exploitation including peer abuse and exploitation as well as harmful sexual behaviour again including harmful sexual behaviour displayed by children and young people.
4: Hello I'm Ellie uh, Eleanor Pusey um, and I'm a senior policy and public affairs officer Uh, in the uh, public affairs team for NSPCC Cymru.
1: So the first question that we had that we didn't get to on the day was from Sophie. Sophie asked, what percentage of peer-on-peer assaults involve inappropriate touching, groping or similar?
3: That's a really good question, Sophie. Um, And I think like all forms of child sexual abuse, it's really difficult to be specific around the amount or prevalence of child sexual abuse involving peers, um, particularly in a a contact um, nature. Um, You know, by its very nature, it's hidden, it's secret, and there's many, many barriers for children to come forward and tell us when it's happening. From a service perspective, I can tell you that we are seeing an increase in our referrals around peer abuse and exploitation with many of those, including contact behaviours. So um, pre-pandemic, we would have been seeing around about 30% of our referrals involving peer abuse and exploitation. Post-pandemic, we've seen an increase to around about 50% of our referrals involving contact behaviours. Um, many within within school settings um, where there's peer abuse and exploitation. I think it's really a really important
2: area around knowing and understanding Sharon said there isn't as much research around it to be really accurate in making a claim about like what the percentages are what we know from the Eston report and what we don't tell our teachers is that in their research 61% of females who were part of the research said that they had experience of peer on peer sexual harassment compared to 29% of males however what we know in terms of them seeing this behaviour happen to them was that 82% of females had said that they had witnessed or um, seen sexual um, harassment happen to others in comparison to 71% of males saying it. So it's really hard, but I agree with Sharon. For us as an organisation at Brooke, we are getting more requests from schools to come in and provide education for their pupils and also to provide more professional training on this area.
3: Absolutely. The, the estin findings and the importance of education in school, um, both for children who are harmed in this context, but also for the children who are displaying the harmful behaviour. So really important that, you know, schools are supported to be able to respond to the needs and safeguarding needs of both groups of learners wherever um, this behaviour happens.
1: Thanks, everybody, for your inputs on our first question. So I'm going to move to the second question asked on the day. And this is from Paula. Has much been done on how sexual harassment could be addressed in RVE? So religion, values, and ethics.
2: So what we've seen at Brooke is there's a real opportunity in terms of wider education in relation to the Relationship Sexuality Education Code, is that Welsh Government are really pushing for this um, education to happen across all areas of learning and experience. And I think it really presents itself an opportunity for RVE to really take on the issues around kindness, tolerance, acceptance, the way we treat others, and all of those different societal elements and feed that in to the wider teachings hub will be a fantastic resource where teachers across wales can be sharing the good practice that they're doing in their schools and also sharing the resources around this is how we've done it on this topic around tolerance or this is how we've um, identified and addressed misogyny you know there's lots of areas i would definitely encourage professionals to share via hub with each other and so that people can utilize it
4: Just to say that in terms of resources, it might be worth having a look at NSPCC learning um, because there are some some sort of uh, bits and pieces available there um, for uh, primary and secondary school. Um, The thing that comes to mind is speak out, stay safe. Um, But yeah, if if you go ahead and Google NSPCC learning, um, there might be some useful uh, resources there as well for you, as well as hope, absolutely.
1: The next question we have, which was anonymous. Do you have any advice for how teachers can positively engage with parents and guardians who may have concerns about the approach to relationships and sexuality education, including what's being taught under the new curriculum?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, it's something that we're routinely asked by schools who are very keen, actually, to get this right and to take whole school approaches to this topic. And I think my advice would be be open and honest. Encourage parents to um, work with you, invite parents to attend school, school meetings, share their views, any concerns or anxieties that they may have around the curriculum or or around, um, you know, kind of the lesson planning for individual schools. Um, try to work in a way that understands what the parental barriers or or anxieties might be rather than closing those down. And what we find is, you know, kind of usually where we have that open and honest discussion, we're on the same page as parents, actually. Parents also are in agreement that there's lots of valuable teaching and learning around this subject area. And the other thing I think is about... Um, understanding what schools can do and then what parents can do outside of school to supplement and, and kind of reinforce learning around those topics. For, for us, we know talking to, to children, what they tell us is school is the place where they, they would prefer to learn about this topic, um, but what they want is confident teachers um, who, who can deliver the, the teaching and the learning in a way that is skilled and knowledgeable of the subject matter. So I think think open honesty skilled teaching staff is um, is the way forward
2: yeah i think that is really excellent advice and something that we would very much echo um here at brook as well and i think it's really important as said is about really understanding what the concerns are from parents and carers because a lot of time the concern that they might have might not actually be um kind of founded within what is Due to be taught during the curriculum, there's a lot of hearsay and misinformation around regarding the new Relationship Sexuality Education Code. And so I think it's important that schools show that document to parents and carers as well to show how it's being taught at phase one for learners aged three to six phase two for learners age seven to to 11 and then phase three, 11 to 16 year olds. So I think it's important that people actually understand what is being taught and when, and what we mean by developmentally appropriate, so that therefore the education is tailored to the needs of those learners. I also think it's really important that schools are as open and transparent as possible. So the brilliant examples that we just heard, parents' evenings, coffee times, morning sessions, one-on-ones with the head teacher however that might be a really really pertinent but fundamentally where there cannot be resolution with parents and carers about the education it's about being really clear that teachers um, are under instruction to deliver this education and if parents and carers aren't happy that they therefore should follow the school's kind of complaints procedure because what we hear sometimes is that um, teachers are being challenged sometimes aggressively and it's not fair on that individual to be the one to to take the brunt of the dissatisfaction so following the school's um, procedures and kind of raising it up to the governors if needed but yeah open transparency and really fundamentally rooting it in the need for that child or young person and that they are asking for this education which we know they really are.
4: Going back to what Sharon was saying about that training so that teachers do feel really confident in delivering um, the new curriculum and and, and confident in, in putting those points across. Um, we ran a, a young person-led session um, in the autumn of last year and, and this came up in terms of young people saying they just couldn't stress how important it is that, that we talk about these issues. So I think it's, it's going back to, to that as well. This is, you know, young people, children, want these lessons and so how can how can we do that in a way that 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 works for them but also um ensures that parents and carers are comfortable as well
3: Absolutely, Ellie. For me as well, it's acknowledging um, kind of groups of children who might be excluded or, you know, kind of unintentionally not included in some of these lessons. And that's children in special schools, particularly where um, certainly for our service, they've been a group who are overrepresented in, um, you know, referral for support. And some of that is about them um, not having access or the same equal access to, to relationships and sexuality education. Um, and then not always then having an, an understanding of what healthy behaviour looks like, getting to an age and stage where they're naturally curious and interested in bodies, touch, relationships, um, but without an, an accurate understanding of what's healthy and appropriate. And I think, again, working with that group of parents, particularly the, the learners who might have physical care needs, um, in you know, kind of really working with those parents and, and education staff to understand the messaging that those learners might need and how that differs from maybe mainstream teaching but equally such an important group for us to get this right for.
1: Thank you all. I have another question which is anonymous again it's quite a long question so just bear with me on this one. In one case I'm aware of a child who was assaulted also had become aware that the person who done the assaulting had also assaulted other young people as well um, the feeling was that staff didn't respond effectively to prevent uh, the person reoffending. When this was raised by parents and others, staff said that they couldn't share information relating to other children. So the question for you all is, how can parents and others who are concerned deal with a matter of this nature regarding a particular child?
3: It's a, it's a really tricky subject. You know, the, the first thing that I'll start off saying really is that there is really clear statutory guidance in Wales that sets out responses, um, you know, for children who have harmed others sexually as well as those who have been harmed sexually within within education or other settings. And it's real clear guidance around promoting the safety and the well being of all children involved in, in the reported concerns and um, there's also non-saturday guidance that applies to education establishments across wales that also sets out really clear expectations of schools and keeping learners safe um, you know where there's incidents of harmful sexual behavior including peer abuse and exploitation um, within those Those documents, there are template safety plans included within education guidance. They support schools in promoting the rights of all children and ensuring the safety and well-being of all all learners is promoted. So I think, um, you know, kind of from our perspective, it's, um, you know, it's about acknowledging um, the needs of both children, all children who've been involved involved with the incident, but also ensuring that where there is risk posed to learners, And that we, we consider safety planning around risk of what to who, where, when and why, and how that can be most appropriately managed in school, thinking about situations within the school that might pose higher risk to others. Um, making sure that both all families are aware of the steps the school is taking and the, the, the safety planning that's going to be put in place. Checking progress with the learners, the families at agreed intervals is also going to be important. And, and an, an agreement that is understood by all about how further incidents, if they occur, can be responded to. And for for both or all children to have designated staff within school for them to be able to go to should problems or difficulties arrive and I think then finally monitoring and reviewing of a safety plan should be put in place depending on progress made. Ultimately the safety of all children um, in school is paramount so to come back to that kind of data sharing um, bit of the question then there is clear statutory guidance around approaches if, if learners are felt to be at risk then the safety of the learners is, is paramount and information sharing can and should take place.
2: Yeah, I think that's really, really excellent advice and an overview from Sharon. There is isn't much more I'd personally add into it, except to say that if there was a situation where um, parents or carers or even young people really felt that something wasn't being addressed or dealt with properly or in line with legislation, as Sharon's just outlined, is that they could contact the Children's Commissioner for Wales, and the Investigation Advice Line, uh, which is there as an opportunity for people to seek advice and support from if they feel they're being treated unfairly or there's a situation where they don't feel safe or that something is affected their rights as young people, um, to say that's obviously in the you know, kind of the next case scenario. But um yeah, I would
4: just want to highlight
2: that service to people as well.
4: And um just to add to that as well, and, and going back to the young persons event that that we ran um last year, um there's there's something about um working collaboratively when developing sort of um policies within schools as well. Um, so working with young people about what, what would work for them and having those sort of frequent and collaborative reviews um, to ensure that um, the that, that policies and that sort of thing remain relevant to the young people. And, and then, you know, that hopefully then feeds in what what would actually work in terms of um, uh, challenging some of these issues.
1: OK, thank you. We'll move on to the next question. This again is anonymous. We know that bullying and sexual harassment is happening online including via mobile phones. This means that children who are being bullied may not be safe in their own homes. Do you have any strategies for dealing with this? These could be for children and young people, for parents and guardians, or even for schools.
4: Yeah, I, you know, online harms are um, dynamic and ever-changing. Um, and I think it's really important that um, children at uh, their carers um, and schools um, feel they are able to access information about about those online risks and know how they can um, support children and young people. I think um, again speaking to our Young Persons event um, one of the things that, that, that they spoke to um, was about um, how important regular awareness campaigns are. And making sure that that um, parents and and local communities are aware of um, ways that they can they can provide support. And in terms of some of the practical things that that you can sort of share now um, with with schools and parents and, and communities, Childline has report remove. Um, which is available bilingually, and it's support for young people on removing um, nude images, for example, and and they can do that uh, confidentially as well. There are also videos available through Childline that that professionals can share with, with children to sort of explain the process. And there's advice as well from nspcc in terms of keeping children safe online and there's resources there for children professionals and and parents also free online workshops um that that can be accessed again via nspcc learning and some of the sort of top line advice from childline around online safety is about reporting and blocking people keeping evidence of 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 bullying telling someone at school or someone you trust and where possible taking a break from checking messages But yeah, I would say looking at some of those resources in more detail and hopefully that that will help. For parents, it's about being aware um, that child
3: sexual development will happen in online spaces, not just offline spaces. And what our children see and hear in those spaces really does matter. Um, In terms of, you know, the development of sexual attitudes, beliefs around self and others, Um, I would say that, you know, kind of speaking from a, a parental perspective as well as a professional perspective, it's about being interested in, in your child's online space, online world. It's about being interested in what they like, what they're doing, um, who their friends are in those spaces. And, and again, from quite young ages, and the, 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 this... Um, Needs to start at an early age for children and and maybe continue in school right across the the child's ages and stages of sexual development rather than just being a a, a school kind of um, specific issue, but rules around respectful relationships Um, kind of you know what's okay what's not okay what's healthy not healthy from from the home and then that being carried on in those whole school approaches and responding to small concerns I think as well if you know teachers become aware of those small concerns and the other thing that Eston you know really shone a, a spotlight on was the prevalence of sexual harassment and bullying the students told us was happening out of school but online and then being taken into school so this really is everybody's business this question isn't it you know for us to think about what we're doing as parents at home but then also how schools can can reinforce um, and help children to find more respectful and healthy ways to express self
2: another thing that the Eston report really highlighted was not only that are they experiencing these things offline and as Sharon said they are coming into school life but a lot of the time is that our children and young people aren't reporting them to their teachers these trusted adults because they don't feel that the issue is being taken seriously enough or they're concerned or worried about what's going to happen with that information when they come forward with it. So I think a really practical thing that schools can do is reflect on what their policy is around disclosures of this nature or how they have a whole school approach to these issues so that actually when a child or a young person comes forward and said that they're experiencing something, not only are they being taken seriously and being listened to, it's being clearly explained to them and what's going to happen next because sometimes we can forget that and I think fundamentally that's really important for that reassuring of that child or young person of how I'm going to take forward the thing that you've told me about. This is what will happen. This is how we'll feed back to you. This is how you'll be involved in the process. So I think a real practical thing for schools to do is to really look at your policies around this and if you haven't got any guidance or you haven't got a specific part of your, um, your policy looking at this, create it work on it, share good practice, learn from other schools, but we can't just ignore it. We need to be ensuring that actually our schools are safe
1: environments for our learners. The next question was from Tim. Tim is interested in situations where teachers may feel uncomfortable delivering RSE sessions. And what Tim was thinking was that could such teachers or other professionals talk to others, maybe nurses, youth workers, or maybe observe their delivery as a learning process so their teacher could therefore deliver a similar session effectively in the future and gain confidence.
2: At Brook we do a huge amount of professional uh, training and one of the biggest areas that comes up is the confidence of professionals to talk about topics relating to sexual health, well-being, um, sexual harassment, etc. is that staff don't feel that they've had the professional training themselves to be able to deliver it. They don't know where to start, they don't know how to do it safely, they don't know how to protect the learners from questions or how to even prepare themselves to answer questions there's a real confidence issue within uh, with professionals delivering it which you can really understand and Welsh government have committed to improving the professional training available for them and I would encourage schools to um, check in with education consortia to see if they are running any training on uh, these topics to help professional learning however I think learning from others is a really good thing so school nurses definitely definitely you know if they're running a contraception session or a session on puberty how can that teacher be learning from them how can they be picking up skills or how could they be sharing resources with each other but also looking at what other schools are doing I often say to teachers you are each other's biggest allies when it comes to delivering this work so you know working with communities working with each other to know what works sharing resources and again I would encourage people to look at hub and what resources have been shared and are available on that but definitely linking in with your community groups and your youth service would be a fantastic opportunity we know that some schools across wales not all but some have adopted kind of school-based youth workers who are able to be on hand to help with delivery or to help support or provide training on these topic areas as well and also just finally utilizing organizations like um, myself sharon and ellie the organizations we represent you know we're all able to support schools in different ways ways so it's just knowing what's available and i would just like the opportunity to just flag that you know brooke have an e-learning suite of free um digital learning resources that professionals could also use to help upskill themselves um on various topics relating to um relationship sexuality education as well
4: i would um just add i mean yeah kelly um sort of covered that um, really comprehensively, but just to echo really that, you know, that there are plenty of resources out there. And I think it goes back to some of the points that we've already spoken to in terms of ensuring that that teachers and schools in general get the support to to confidently deliver the new curriculum and making sure that there's sort of time ring fenced for them to to get that that sort of training and i think there's something about how this support how support is made available for the local community as well. So the community that sort of sits around the school to help them spot the signs of of sexual harassment. You know, developing training that's informed by contextual safeguarding approaches. So ensuring that, you know, local businesses and shops and cafes and coach drivers and park wardens and all that sort of thing recognise their role in supporting and safeguarding young people as well. If I could just add both
3: primary and secondary prevention to to this issue you know is key in reducing harm and harming by children um I think unfortunately, the requests for us to do school based work um they tend to come in as a as a reactive strategy after an incident, so I think we just have to get better at. Getting comfortable with the uncomfortable topic of child sexual abuse across all of our systems, including the education system, where you know we we're, we're using um, you know prevention strategies to reinforce that sexual abuse by children isn't inevitable. It is definitely preventable. But you know one thing that sexual abuse does thrive in is silence and um you know and and when it's hidden in nature so i think you know kind of more talking and more awareness raising across all of our systems kind of public awareness but also including children in that awareness through school-based programs would be a huge stride to um tackling this um you know kind of that said you know you know kind of tim's question is talking about feeling uncomfortable about some of the the topics that we we spoken about today and you know delivering that in an RSE context and I think that you know we have to be we have to be live to you know our teachers are well placed to deliver this but we have to support our teachers well to do that and as Kelly said if that means that you know agencies community agencies uh, are linking in with schools to help them to train the trainer sessions or to pop along and do a session that you know they can observe and then rerun when they're more confident to do so that you know that that for me is the way forward i think despite the the very uncomfortable topic that we're here to talk about today it is only by talking about it that i think you know we will we will make a dent and and get a reduction in in it occurring
1: Thanks, everybody. The next question is from Darius. Have you ever been confronted by educators, parents, or policymakers about the RSE curriculum? And if so, what have been their counter arguments?
2: Yes, is my answer. Um, so at work, we definitely have faced. Um, some kind of anti-RSE messaging um, over, you know, over the years, but significantly over the last kind of uh, two years, I would say, and intensified over the last 12 months. And I think the rationale or the reason that people have, I I think, is deeply rooted in just misunderstanding of what the Relationship Sexuality Education Code actually is and what it's going to be teaching. Um, I feel that there's a real misunderstanding that people think we are going to be teaching around, say, sexual activities at a very young age so because people see that the rse code is for three to 16 year olds they therefore think that that means we're teaching kind of three four five six year olds about um sexual activity which is very very incorrect that's where a lot of the um confusion or worry um, or concern comes from so again that real importance of talking to people showing people having really thoughtful and um, productive conversations about actually you know, this is the reality of what we're teaching because there will be some people who are very much against the teachings of RSE, and with Wales's move to um, prevent parents and carers from removing their child or young person from this education it therefore makes people feel even more more anxious at times. So again, clarity, vitally, vitally important. And also how I always approach conversations is that we come from a standpoint of safeguarding. We come at RSE in the best interest of the child or the young person to give them factually correct information to help keep themselves safe. So whilst I might work with a 15-year-old, and yes, the conversation could be about contraception and sexually transmitted infections, it's also about acknowledging that not all young people are sexually active. So whilst this information might not be pertinent to them right now in their lives, this information might be relevant to them at some point. So it's about giving them that information so that, you know, as Sharon mentioned in a previous answer, we're not just being reactionary. You know, we're being um, proactive and preventative in in our approach approach to these topics so it's always always from a, a sense of safeguarding talking about consent vitally important that it's not just about sexual consent it's wider consent. I often use the example of, um, you know, young people being in photographs with other young people and then being posted online, you know, having an awareness of what you are consenting to. So it's not just always about sexual information, it's actually sometimes about kindness, tolerance, understanding, healthy relationships, displaying that healthy um, behaviour as well. So safeguarding is really the root of everything that we do and I think once you have that conversation with people who misunderstand, actually you're able able to make progress and, and realize that you are all on the same page with it. We're all wanting to make sure that children and young people are safe.
1: OK, thank you. And the final question is from Hayley. We've already talked a bit in this podcast or uh, well, quite a lot actually about staff training. The difference in terms of Haley's question is Hayley's a manager in an FE college. So, can anyone give Hayley some specific advice, bearing in mind the context she works in, about training her staff in this subject?
3: Um, when we were we were asked by Welsh Government to produce um, a training video, um, which sits online on Welsh Government website, but also our website. And if listeners want that, then I'm very happy to share that um, with you guys to to be shared freely. But I think you know that that training talks about harmful sexual behaviour. Um, for children up to the age of of 18 so you know kind of 16 to 18 year olds then in further education Um, and it talks about proportionate responses bearing in mind that you know children within this age group are able to and can consent to sexual behaviour but it also talks about power imbalances within relationships and not just making decisions about what's healthy and unhealthy based on relationships but also thinking about as as Kelly has said in, in other answers the importance of consent you know within a within stages of relationships prior to intimacy regardless of age I, I think kind of for for my organization you know be very happy to share that training video it's it's funded by welsh government but produced by bernardo so happy for for that to be shared widely for for education staff to have a, an understanding of what we mean when we're talking about um you know kind of normative expected sexual behavior in children across the ages and stages right up to what we mean by abusive and violent behaviour by children and young people and then what proportionate responses might look like.
2: I think we've also uh, mentioned earlier just about a, a good starting point could be uh, a free resource is our Brookie Learning um, modules for professionals. Unfortunately there is only one that is available bilingually which is our brand new one that we did in partnership with the Open University and Cardiff University on how to teach RSE. But they're a good start point a good introduction and they can take anything between half hour to an hour depending on the learner and how quickly they like to kind of read or uh, participate in the different activities but they are a good a good way in for it and obviously Brooke are able to support um, colleges and uh, FE provisions with training for staff um, but unfortunately as a charity we don't get core funding so you know we, we do have to charge for these things but I think as Sharon said it's really important noting that the ages of FE learners um, in that that is possibly when they're going to um, start becoming more sexually active so it's really important that further education provisions have really good policies or access to things like um, condom distribution schemes which i know some uh, colleges do have around wales and so again really important clear messaging for for learners on how they can access it but for the professional learning that would just be another recommendation that i would offer as our e-learning
1: i'd like to thank ellie sharon and kelly again the masterclass that we ran on this topic you can watch that back again via our website many thanks
0: Diolch am wrando ar y benod hon o Sgwrsio gyda Eceg A. Gallwch wrando ar y holl benodau ar ein gwefan, wdryfflyg.cega.cymru, neu blebynnau grych chi'n gwrando ar bod lediadau. Cofiwch dan ysgrifio i beidio'ch hollipenod a rhanwch gyda'ch cydweithwyr. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scursio with EWC. You can listen to all episodes on our website www.ewc.wales or on your podcast provider of choice. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and share it with your colleagues.